Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Colossians chapter 3. We are starting a new series this morning on our identity in Christ. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. You know, those of you who've been around for a while know that I, I typically preach through a book of the Bible. We've been doing a, kind of a, some sections of some um, more topical series, and uh, this will lead us up till Christmas, uh, or Christmas, <laughs> Woo! Easter, and our Easter uh, message will be, I am redeemed, that being that part of the identity, and then we'll start a series in 1 Thessalonians following that, so we'll get kind of back into a book study. Um, but as part of our uh, assessment that our church went through um, last year, and we're getting the results of that, uh, there was a part of that was, was called the NCD, Natural Church Development, part of that uh, assessment. And the Natural Church Development looks at eight different uh, criterias. Uh, this this uh, assessment has been done all over the world, uh, thousands and thousands of churches over many years. It's really been kind of narrowed down. It's a very effective tool. And they measure eight different uh, categories. And they said they had kind of some ranges in there. And churches above a certain number are growing churches. Uh, churches that are in between certain numbers have plateaued usually, and churches under a certain number are in decline. And we were just barely on the plateau line. And we had some areas that we needed uh, to work on. Um, one of those areas is loving relationships. And if you were here for all the discussions, I'm not going to go into all of it, but there was all these different leadership, empowering leadership, and inspiring uh, worship services, and holistic small groups. And they said is, all these churches have these different things. All churches have leadership. All churches have some sort of form of groups. All churches have some sorts of ministries, relationships. So you look at the descriptive word. And loving relationships was our second lowest in that grouping. And uh, so the key of that is loving relationships. And that kind of surprised some of us. It's a pretty loving, open church. People feel uh, usually welcome and connected. And so we're trying to dig into that. And, and so one of the problems when you hear that, you start to, what does that mean? What does that mean? And oh, no. Um, but, but there's a part of uh, our identity uh, or history that sometimes needs a little tweaking, a little bit of changing. I shared a few weeks ago that I, I grew up, I was overweight as a kid, and so when, you know, you get kind of made fun of and told you're overweight over a number of years, that you just start to, that becomes part of your identity. And even in high school, when I got taller and thinned out and was in, in a decent best shape of my life and into college, um, I still saw myself when I looked in the mirror as overweight, because that was what my identity had been shaped as a kid. When we grow up in the church, sometimes we're told, you're a sinner. We talk about the total depravity of man. And pretty soon, you know, you tell somebody they're a sinner long enough, then they're going, well, I guess I am one. Kind of act like one. And so what we see in Scripture is, although we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, in Christ, when we come to faith in him, Christ sees us differently. And I want us to see ourselves the way that Christ sees us. And so this morning, we're going to do a little introduction to this idea of identity in uh, Colossians chapter 3. And so each of the sermons in this series kind of have this identity of Christ 
and then a phrase, I am, and then the identity we're going to look at this morning is forgiveness. So this morning we're going to do kind of an introduction over all of identity, and we're going to talk about our identity, how it shapes who we are, how it shapes what we do, and specifically we're going to talk about forgiveness, and then how it shapes how we respond. So Colossians chapter 3, if you look at this with me this morning. Notice how it starts here. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. There's a condition there. If this is true of you, then this is the result. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And let me just say, Paul is writing to people who are alive, not people who are dead. So when he says you have died with Christ, he is saying that, and we picture this in baptism, that when we come to Christ, we are buried with him, and we are raised again, washed by the blood of the lamb, and we are new, we are alive. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is, What we don't want to do is be buried with Christ and then stay there. That's not the point. He says, you have have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore... What is earthly in your sexual immorality, uh, what is in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, then, uh, here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our identity defines who we are. He says, if you have been raised. In one way or another, our identity is dependent on two things. It's dependent on Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus. And and then in some ways, our identity is just as human beings being created in the image of God. Notice Paul says 
um, in verse 10, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. So you've been created in the image of God. In Christ, that image is being renewed or restored. Okay, so uh, humanity is created in the image of God. On a very real sense, church, listen, we should treat everybody, everybody, as being created in the image of God. Okay, because that's just a truth. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Uh, We reflect our creator. Uh, Scripture says that we are not to make Uh, graven images or idols in the image of God. Why why does the Bible say that? Because God has already made an image of himself. It's you. You are the image of God. We shouldn't create something else. Isn't it funny that that here we are, God's created image, and then people want to make an idol of a bird or a cow or a goat. You are. You are the image of God. We reflect that. Second, because we're creating the image of God, we serve our creator. We we have a purpose, or we should have a purpose. Now, in the Old Testament, that idea of image or idol, if you follow the Old Testament as you're reading through that, in fact, you're just reading through in our reading of Israel uh, being delivered from Egypt, now, in those cultures, the Pharaoh or the king and other, and other groups that we'll come across in our Old Testament reading, they declared themselves the image of God. And God says, no, no, no. It's not the king who's the image of God. You're all in the image of God. And God gives Adam and Eve purpose in the garden. He says, go cultivate it and, and rule over it. And so we have this purpose, this this calling to be God's image bearers on the earth. Now you say, well, how were they to to bear the image and rule over? And it starts off very simple. Cultivate the land. Be gardeners. Now, those gardens lead to families. And those families lead to communities. And those communities lead to cities. Cities. Those cities lead to nations. And so he's saying, look, manage the things that I've given you in a way that builds and spreads and grows. So we're to serve our creator. Third, we relate like our creator. God says, I created them in our image. In our image. You realize that before the creation of the world, God lived in a relational community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they each had a role. Jesus isn't the Father. The Father isn't the Son. The Father isn't the... They each had this role. And in that role, there was a relationship. And there was responsibilities. Now, understand, like, some of us have roles, but we don't fulfill our responsibilities. For instance, there are those that might be a father or a mother, but they don't feel the responsibility of being a father. And how does that work out? Not good. And so when we have a role, 
relationship, we also have a responsibility. And because we have a responsibility comes communication. And with communication comes, uh, you know, uh, loving relationships in this sense of building into uh, unity and uh, submission to one another. We looked at this, those of you who've been through relational elder training. And so there's this concept of role, uh, responsibility, uh, uh, communication, and submission, and unity. And when we work in our roles, and we work in our responsibilities, and we communicate, that actually builds loving relationships. But when we have, respons- we have a role and we don't fulfill our responsibility, it breaks loving relationships. So part of being created in the image of God is knowing what my role is and what my responsibility is. Part of the reasons that sometimes we struggle with loving relationships, if to be honest, when we're in a smaller church, is we think that the role is senior pastor, and the responsibility is he does it all. And at some point, when that falls short, we don't feel like there's loving relationships. And so we need to all understand our different roles and responsibilities as we're created in the image of God. Um, next, we, we are set apart from the rest of creation. Um, there was something different about Adam and Eve. They're relational, moral, intelligent, emotional, spiritual creatures, unlike the animals. They're set apart. So we're all created in the image of God, but that image has been marred by sin. In a simple way, when you read the creation story, God created this and it was good. God created this and it was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. And then God says to Adam and Eve, here's the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He's already defined what is good. The tree represents, are you going to take my definition of good and evil, or are you going to try to define good and evil on your own? And Adam and Eve choose to define good and evil on their own. So our image is marred when instead of saying, this is who God says I am, we say, no, this is who the world says I am, or this is who the culture says I am, and I'm going to define myself that way. The good news is that the image is being restored through Jesus Christ. If then you have been raised. Uh, Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. There is a renewing that is happening, a restoration. Now, this restoration, there's a part of the work that God does. In verse 4, he says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What do I need to do there? Nothing. Verse 11, he says, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, uh, but in Christ is all and in all. What do I have to do there? Nothing. There's a part of there where, where God loved us. Okay, as we, we mentioned this morning, Uh, While we were yet in sin, he loved us. God demonstrated his love for us. So there's a part that God does, but there's also something that we need to do. And and as you looked at this passage, as you're listening, I I hope that you kind of heard some of the verbs as I was reading. Seek. Set your mind on. Put to death. Put away. Put on two different times. Now, whose responsibility is that? 
Those are calls for me to respond. So there's things that I need to do, put on, put off. So there's two identities. This idea that we've been created in the image of God. But that image has been marred. The image that we're talking about in church in the next few weeks is those of us who are in Christ, there is an image that is being changed, being reshaped, restored. And so which image do you want to walk in? Do you want to walk in a marred image? Or do you want to walk in an image of who we are in Christ? So our identity influences what we do. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above. Being in Christ should affect what we pursue. When you think about what you're going to do, how you're going to work, how you're going to parent, how you're going to be in relationship with other people, how you're going to serve, what you're going to do in the church, how you're going to relate, it should be motivated by who we are in Christ. Look, sometimes as, as parents, we, we're so shaped by the world. I've told this story a, a bunch of times. The time Janine was in the, a store and JM was a little baby, a little kid, and she asked for a candy necklace. Mom said no. JM threw this huge fit. Oh, gosh, it was just one of those days. Now, I don't know about you, parents, but there's just something about, there's, there was times when the kids were little that you, you're trying to go to a store, you're trying to just get one more thing done. I don't want to, well, let's just, let's just go. And it's, uh, for me, for us, it was always Target. No, I just need to run into Target. And I went, oh, no. Nothing good ever happens in Target. <laughs> and the kids are tired, and you've pressed the meal time way past, and you load them into one more shopping cart. They want popcorn. You're like, no, you haven't eaten anything good today because I haven't fed you anything good today. No popcorn for you. And then the fit happens. And you're just sitting there and your kids just, I don't you know, I, maybe this never happened to you, parents, but the kid's on the floor. You think they're demon possessed at this point in time. You've never seen this. And then somebody just does one of these Oh, the judgment look. You're a terrible parent. It's easier as a grandparent because you just give them candy. You don't care. So, but as a parent, parent, you can't do that stuff. And I don't know. Look, I know my day. I know what I've done. I know my kids. I know, I know that most of the time they don't do this. But at that point in time, this stranger looking at me, I don't want them to think I'm a terrible parent. I don't know why, but that day I was being a terrible parent. Right? We just have those moments. Janine said, no candy necklace for you. Jam threw a fit. She said, if you don't stop, we're leaving this. We're leaving this store right now. She left her shopping cart, walked out, JM screaming, you're not my mother. Oh. I said, man, good thing you got out of that store. Right? We did. There's a time when when other people are judging us and identifying us. And I don't know why we seek that approval. I don't know why we want that affirmation. 
You know why we post things on Facebook showing everybody that our life is fine when we know it's not? I don't know how many times, this is, this is the new pastoral norm. I'm following a couple on Facebook. Man, they look like they are just doing really, really good. And then they call me and they're like, you know, Dave, we're on the verge of divorce. I'm like, really? On Facebook, you guys just posted this beautiful, what, what do you mean? Why do we care so much what people think of us that we lie on social media? Why do we think what people care about us so much that when we walk into church, falling apart, on the verge of absolutely losing it, and then one of the elders says, hey, good morning, how you doing today? And you say, praising the Lord. We're doing great. God is good. Why, why, do we, why can't we just be real? Who we are in Christ should cause us to pursue something else. And notice what he says here. Seek the things that are above. God's glory. God's blessing. God's approval. That's what we should be pursuing. Second, it should should influence what we think about. Set your minds on things above. Man, this can just change in an instant. Driving to church this morning, you know, daylight savings, not my favorite Sunday. Note to self, don't start a new series on that Sunday. We're a few minutes away from my favorite point of the time when somebody walks in and goes, what? No. It's fun. I've done it a few times. Don't worry. I'll point them out to you when they come in. No, I... Right, so... The, feeling a little bit behind this morning. Get my tea. Pull up. And there's a beautiful Ford F-150 parked on the street out there. I don't know whose it is. It's not the pastor's. And I'm telling you, my, thing, my mind did not go to things above. Not that there's anything wrong with a truck. I'm just saying I just went, oh, man, I want one of those. I want that. But just like that. I was going to church. Isn't it amazing how quickly our minds go somewhere else? So Paul says, set your minds. Set your minds on things above. Now, for me, and I think for most of us, That needs to be a practice over and over and over all day long. Continually set your minds on things above. It influences what we do, what we pursue, what we think about, how we live. Now, look, you're going, oh no, Dave, we're only on verse two. How long is this sermon? Look, I'm not going to go through the lists here, okay? List of things we are to put off in verses 5 through 9. There was a big list. Go back over that. Look through it. What stands out to you? What do you need to put off? And then in verses 10 through 14, he says, now, when you put those things off, that's not enough. The problem is, is when you put that thing off, if you don't put something on in return, you're going to put that thing right back on. So he says, put this off. 
And then what I want you to do is go over here and I want you to put these things on. Look, church, you're called to change clothes. Old, dead, marred self, you're to put that off. And there's a new self and a renewing self that you need to be putting on. Now look, church, we're old, we're old Baptists here, so once saved, always saved. That doesn't mean once saved, sit and do nothing. It means you, once you're saved, you put off that old stuff and you start putting on the things of holiness. I don't think we talk enough about holiness in the church today. What you are to put on. So look through that list. What stands out to you? Now, the one that we want to focus on in verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another. Oh, come on, Paul, that never happens in the church. We're all Christians. We've all put off the old self. We're putting on the new self. Why do you have to mention this specifically? Because Paul knows us. So it probably should read this way, bearing with one another and when you have a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you should forgive. That's not what it says, is it? Gotta follow along, pastor's trying to trick you. What does it say? So you must forgive. You must forgive. And above all of these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. How we are to forgive. Let me say this. Forgiveness is a choice. Now, I'm going to spend some time talking about forgiveness this morning. And so I'm going to talk about what it's not. I'm going to talk about how we do it, things like that. But let me just, what it is, I've only got one word for you. It's a choice. You either choose to forgive or you choose not to forgive. It's a choice. Now, I've taken some notes from a, a book. I've cited it there uh, for you. It's one of my favorite books on forgiveness. And uh, it's actually out of print. I found some used ones you can buy on Amazon. You can download it to your Kindle uh, if you're interested in going a little deeper with this. But the author says, you know what? Forgiveness is not emotion. Forgiveness is not of emotion. And, and, and the reason why we need to say that is if you're waiting till you feel like you should forgive, if you're waiting for something to sweep over you and go, oh, I'm feeling very forgivable, very forgiving now, it's not going to happen. Don't wait for some emotion to come over you. We don't forgive because we feel like it. We never feel like it. Second, forgiveness is not forgetting. In the Bible, it says that uh, God takes our sin and throws it as far as the east is from the west, that he, doesn't, uh, that he doesn't remember it. So we say, well, we need to forgive like God forgives, and he forgets it. Guess what? You're not God. You're not God. And so if you think you're going to forget it, you're probably not going to. Now, some of you are getting to the age where you forgot what you had for breakfast this morning, so this becomes a little easier. But for most of us, when somebody has hurt us, there is some sort of hurt in here that keeps putting off this beacon. We all have, like, in these, 
these planes have this little black box so that when the planes crash, they're supposed to find the little black box and say what went wrong. We all have a little black box in each of us. And that little back black box records every hurt and wrong feeling and things that somebody have said, and it records this so that next time something happens, the little black box goes, warning, warning. You're not going to forget it. But when you feel it again, when it reoccurs, you stop and you said, no, I made a choice to forgive. You don't readdress it. And when you're hurt, you might have to do that several times a day for weeks or for months because that little black box will keep pinging, keep pinging. It's not forgetting. Forgiveness is not shrugging off the offense. Somebody hurts you and you go, well, I forgive you. It didn't, that's okay. Wait, wait a second, that's not what forgiveness is. I'll tell you, I, I tend to sometimes do that. I'll, I'll say, well, I'm not going to address that. This week, outside of church, somebody, somebody did something that kind of put me in a bad situation. And, uh, and I, you know, I just said, hey, I just want you to know that that put me in an uncomfortable position. This was, hey, I'm really sorry about that. Absolutely forgive you. I just want you to know it put me in a, it put me in a bad spot. Okay, I don't want to do that again. Forgiveness, yes. But I needed, I needed to let the person know that, that that had an impact. Okay, so it's not just absolutely saying, hey, man, sometimes, you know what? Somebody breaks something. You got you to fix it. Got to buy it back, right? I mean, sometimes you've been over at people's house when your kids were little, and you hear a in the other room, and you're going, oh, what am I buying today? Okay? Please don't be one of those things that can't be replaced. That's just, there's, there's a restoration process that happens in forgiveness. Forgiveness is not asking God to forgive the person who hurt you. That's very nice, right? Jesus says, Father, forgive them. But, but that's, he's, again, he's God, okay? That might be part of the process, but that's not all that's there. And forgiveness is not, um, I skipped a whole section, didn't I? Arizona. You guys are really good this morning. Keep going. God is in control. Forgiveness is not asking God to forgive the person who hurt you, and forgiveness is not asking God to forgive you for being hurt. I appreciate that response because we go, of course not. But how many times when we're hurt do we take the self-blame section and say it's my fault? That's not what we're doing either. That's not, that's not going to lead to forgiveness. Okay, so God wants us to go back and talk about why we forgive. Sorry, can we flip back through the slides? Is that possible? Some of you are already, that's why you were writing so quickly, you're trying to get those notes. Why we forgive others. You have been forgiven. Look, that, that's really it. Okay, it, the reason that you forgive is because God has forgiven you. And let me just say this. 
I know that many of you have been hurt in, in some super deep, harmful ways, and I, I, mean, I can't address all that. What I'm saying is that when we sin, we sin against a holy, perfect God. And we have rebelled against him. We have transgressed. We, are, we have this deep, dark iniquity in our heart. We've been separated from God. And that sin, that chasm between who we are and who God is, is it's great. It's big. And God says, I am going to forgive that. It's huge. The gulf is, is really, and I'm going to forgive that. And some of you have been hurt, and some of it's been in a bad way, but I'm just saying, in relation to a holy, perfect God, your hurt is down here. And when you say, God has forgiven me this, but I can't forgive this, God says, wait a second. Wait a second. Remember, I forgave this. Yeah, but God, this... The reason that you forgive is because God has forgiven you big time. The gospel is that while you were yet sinners, when we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us. God demonstrated his love for us. And while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. The emotion that drove God was love. Praise God, it wasn't the emotion of justice or his wrath, but it was his love that motivated him to send Christ to die for us. That was a huge, huge gulf. I know some of you believe that you're near perfect in every way, that you get more beautiful and all that kind of stuff, but I'm just saying that we're all sinners. And that gulf that Christ forgave is huge. So we forgive because we've been forgiven. Second, we forgive because it's a priority to God. On God's list of, of priorities, it's up there. And so Jesus uh, tells this story, and he is saying in Matthew chapter 5, next slide, he says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, listen to those words. You're coming to present your gift, your sacrifice, your, your tithe, your offering. And there you remember, not that you sinned against somebody else, but somebody else is going, man, I've got an issue with that person. And he says, leave your gift at the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come offer your gift. So look, it's a priority. God says, take care of this first. Um, second, it's a gauge on our relationship with God. Now, when Jesus is talking about uh, uh, the goats and the sheeps being separated in Matthew, we looked at this, and he says, as you have done to the least of these. Now, listen, that's just a general gauge. How we treat other people in lesser situation is how we're treating God. How much more so with forgiveness? Next slide. So, and the king answered him, truly I say to you, did, uh, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did to me. So think about how, if God has forgiven you, how are you forgiving other people? Unforgiveness impacts our relationship with God. When we have unconfessed sin, it impacts our relationship with God. 
when we have broken relationships, it impacts our relationship with God. When we're harboring bitterness, it impacts our relationship with God. When we're nursing hurts, it impacts our relationship with God. And then unforgiveness impacts our ability to be forgiven. Now, please listen to this. If you don't hear anything else I said this morning, your unwillingness to forgive somebody else impacts your ability to be forgiven by God. Next slide. And whoever, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, how often should we pray? Unceasingly. Whenever you're praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you. Wow. One time I was a, a camp speaker and uh, large camp, uh, junior high age kids. And I bought this box, huge box from Amazon, you can buy everything now, of polished rocks. And I gave the 100 students there on the first day of camp a polished rock. And I said, we're going to play a little game. I want you guys to all carry your polished rock around with you at camp. I want you to carry it everywhere you go. I want you to take it to the dining hall. I want you to take it to bed with you. You know, I, don't go swimming with it. I don't want anybody being weighed down. But for the most part, I want you to have the polished rock with you. And I said, I'm going to, I have candy. You can get kids to do anything with candy. I said, I have candy. And if I come to you and you have your polished rock, then you get a piece of candy from me. And so these kids have carried around these polished rocks in their pocket all week long. On Thursday night, I'm speaking. I said, who has their rock? They raise it, raise the hand up. You know, it's Thursday, it's camp. By this time, these rocks have names. These rocks are dating other rocks and other cabins. I mean, all sorts of stuff's going on. And I said, this rock represents sin. It represents hurt. Some of you have sin and hurt in your life that you carry around and it's stupid. Sorry, it was junior high kids. It was why, why would you carry a rock around all week at camp? Well, because you told us to. Because you gave us candy. Why would you carry hurt and sin around with you? And I said, it's nice, smooth rock. Feel it. Because we've carried it around so much that we've just kind of smoothed it out. It's just become part of who we are, what we do. And then I just asked a simple question. Do you want to leave camp with that sin? With that hurt? And my challenge was to them, I said, identify what your rock represents. And go throw it in the lake. Throw it in the creek. Bury it underneath your cabin, but don't leave here with it. Now, I say that to you because some of you are carrying around hurt and sin that you've been carrying around for so long that you would feel lost without it. 
There are some people that are so identified by their hurt that that's part of who they call themselves. I am a, I'm a this, I'm a that. Time out. You are created in the image of God. Michelle works with teen moms. Teen mom comes in, they identify themselves as teen mom. Single mom. Time out. You're created in the image of God. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're gifted. You have a rich inheritance in Christ. You see what I mean? If, If we keep living in that identity, we never get to who Christ says we are. Who knows where we are in the notes now? Our identity impacts how we sprung. Let me, let me just close with this very quickly. There's, there's a part of when we're pressed, when, when we're in that difficult time, what comes out is what's on the inside. And so the more that we recognize who we are in Christ, when we're pressed, that's what comes out. So we have uh, chosen uh, as a church... Uh, to do this series together, Forgiven to Forgive. Uh, forgiven to Forgive. There's copies on the back. I know that we ran out last Sunday. I found out the rich was hiding some so that you know, we had more left over. So we have some more out there. Um, and we, we want you as a church to read through this together. It's a daily devotion. Uh, it's going to go for several weeks. And, uh, and let me just, I'm going to teach you how to read real quick. So we have uh, the day here, and there's some verses up here. Um, sometimes it's a chapter, sometimes it's a few verses. Um, I, we would love for you to read those. Some of you will just read the page, and that's okay too. And then there's a key verse here, and then a story, and then a prayer. So we want you to read through that together, everyone. I don't care if you don't have an issue with somebody or not. We want everybody to do it. And um, here's, here's where I, I teach people how to read a little bit. We would love for you to discuss these as families or in your small groups, and so it really helps that as if you're reading, if you mark something or you put question mark near it. So what happens is we get to our small group and they go, well, how did you like? Oh, it was really good. Well, what stood out to you? Uh, it's been three days. I can't remember. So highlight something so that when you come to your small group, you go, this really stood out to me. So on today's, this morning's, I highlighted, um, said he did not wait for us to come begging for mercy. God does not wait for you to come begging for mercy. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I, that really hit me because, you know, when you're hurt, I don't know if you ever do this. Maybe this is just my sinfulness, so please forget this. This isn't you. But somebody hurts you. Maybe your spouse hurts you, you know. Um, and sometimes you're sitting there going, when are they going to realize what they did? You want them to, you know what, you're hurt and you're like kind of ignoring them and they're not picking up on it. You haven't spoken to them yet. There's no dinner on the table. Whatever it is, you know, you're just kind of giving them the stink eye and you're like, when are they going to get it? Right? The ladies are shaking their head and the men are like, never. Never? Right? Or, or somebody at work hurts you or your, your, your sibling or whatever and you want, the, you just, you picture it. They're going to come groveling to me. They're going to come on hands. You know what? That never happens. 
If you wait for that person to come begging for mercy, guess what? You're going to keep waiting. Boy, it's hard to initiate that. It's hard to initiate that forgiveness process, but we've got to do it. So um, read that book. Maybe think about who is God, what has he done, who am I? So grab one of those, and um, that'll be part of this series. So our identity impacts how we respond. Verse 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. When we have this identity change, what happens is what's at the root should begin to be the peace of Christ. It brings peace. Once we recognize how much we've forgiven, it brings this peace inside of us. The peace of Christ, he says, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So it brings peace, and second, it brings unity. When we recognize these things, it brings unity. Let the word of Christ, uh, excuse me, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And Paul says, and be thankful. Right? Can we just praise God for the fact that he has forgiven us and he has given us this peace and this new inheritance and this new life and he's renewing us in the image of Christ? Can we be thankful for that? You say, yeah, but, oh, you know, this thing happened this week. Uh, we have uh, JM's boyfriend is living with us right now in some transition, and he came in there, and I said, hey, Rob, how was your day? And he goes, I bought tires. Right? Equals, oh, horrible, right? <laughs> like, oh, what I would like to do is just put $500 on something that I'm really not going to notice but have to have. Isn't it? It's amazing how quickly little things kind of change our mood. But can we be thankful in the fact that we sinned against a holy God and he loved us so much that he pursued us and Christ died for us that we might be restored into his image? Can we say amen to that? And that's, that's something to put a smile on your face. And it brings unity and thankfulness. And it impacts how we relate to one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. This should be how we relate to one another. And it impacts our motivation. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Look, who we are in Christ impacts how we think about ourselves. It impacts how we act, what we do, and it impacts how we respond. So let's understand who we are in Christ, and let's focus this week on being forgiven so that we can forgive others. So how do we apply this? Receive God's forgiveness. If you're here this morning and you have not received the forgiveness that comes from Christ, if you have not been raised in him, then you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to confess your sins and believe on him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Receive God's forgiveness. Second, put off the old self. Guess what the old self is? The old self is angry, malice, contempt, sexual immorality. Put that stuff off. Knock it off. That's not who you are anymore. And put on the new self. And the new self forgives because 
They've been forgiven. So if you haven't already, we invite you to pick up the book. Read this with us as we look at our identity in Christ. Now, some of you say, well, what's the next step? Well, what do we do with it? Talk about it in couples and families. and Talk about it in your small group. But here's the thing. There's not a quiz at the end. There's not going to be a huge meeting of us all just, you know, having a kumbaya moment. The, the, the point is this. If you're reading that, and God is prompting you to deal with something, then deal with it. If you're reading that, and you're saying, I am not in right relationship with that person, then go make that relationship right. If you are harboring pain that you don't need to harbor, then get rid of it. In other words, read it and respond to what God is saying to you. Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning, this introduction, this message. And even though we lost an hour of sleep, we are thankful that we can worship together. We are thankful that you love us. We are thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. While we were shaking our fists at you, we are thankful for each person here that is uh, in fellowship this morning, some who are wrestling with what it means to be a follower of Jesus, some who are like, oh, man, I did not know that we were going to be talking about this this morning, but this is a touchy area for me. We are thankful that you brought them here. God, we believe that everybody that's here this morning is here for a reason, that you're doing something in their life. And so, God, we thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you uh, for this church and the years of history that it has here on the corner of 2nd and Lincoln and the ministry that you have done here, and we pray that you would continue it. God, we thank you for our leaders and for uh, the servants in the church and for those who are in uh, children's ministry this morning. God, we thank you because people are doing what you've called them to do and acting according to their gifts, and we praise you for that. And God, in all the things that we're thankful for, we pray that we would take who we are in Christ and share that with other people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.